0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So, I want to start off right away with a very, just super darn it, minor um, correction. Very minor, and I'm glad it's minor, because it could have been catastrophic, because I spent a lot of time um, going over this, but it's the... um, the advantage that the Packers have in cold weather. Basically, take Tampa, Seattle, and New Orleans, add one win and one loss to each of them. Because every single one of them has one win and one loss in the playoffs in cold weather. Because I forgot to add playoffs. Because the default on this search that I have um, is set to regular season only, which I think is stupid, but whatever. My bad. Um drew Brees. well i'm on tampa so let's start so in tampa bay's history they have won one cold weather game that was in philadelphia in 2002 temperature was 26 degrees however they also lost to the green bay packers 7 to 21 in also 26 degree weather that was in 1998 the seattle seahawks since um russell wilson has been quarterback there is one win in cold weather. There's actually three additional losses. Well, four losses for the Seahawks, but that's before Russell Wilson. But uh, they beat the Minnesota Vikings. This was back in the 2015 playoffs. They won 10-9, to which, you know, again, no question weather has an impact when you're talking about beating the Minnesota Vikings by 1.10-9. to It was negative six on that day. So that was a victory, but um, clearly an impact. And then there was uh, an additional loss. This was in uh, 2019. Why does it say 2019? This date says 2020, but clearly. Oh, 2019 season, but it was, the actual date was January 12, 2020. Got it. Gotcha. Good to know. Anyways, lost to, again, the Green Bay Packers, 23-28. The score uh, on that fateful day, the uh, temperature was 23 degrees. Then if you look at the New Orleans Saints, in their entire history, they've played three cold-weather playoff games. Which again, most of these teams, like, there's just no history of this because it's just, it's very rare. They don't see cold weather. If they're a team that goes to the playoffs, they would have to be going to Green Bay, going to Chicago, going to Minnesota back before they, you know, all domed up and everything, to Buffalo, which obviously was never a thing. So, anyways, the um, New Orleans Saints have played Chicago twice and Philly once. In Drew Brees' history in 2007, they lost to the Chicago Bears 39 to 14. Temperature was 28 degrees. However, they did beat Philadelphia. Thank- Philadelphia is the sole reason, and Minnesota, that uh, teams have won in cold weather. Thanks a lot for making me look stupid, you stupid Eagles. By the way, I haven't been super immersed in this. The Eagles controversy. I'm a little, I'm, I'm kind of iffy on this in both directions. Um, we'll just, we'll We'll. That's all I had to say on that, so let's let's move on. I wasn't even going to talk about it, but since Philly came up and everybody wants to be in an uproar about it, two thoughts. I don't mind tanking, but I don't think that was the right moment to do it. I genuinely could not care any less that they tank. Let, let me put it this way. They chose not to play their starters, right, because, because reasons, because it's more beneficial to their team. What did the Chiefs do this, week, this past week? Why is it okay for the Chiefs to say, we're not going to try in this game? Well, because there's implications. Because you don't want your quarterback getting hurt, you want to win a Super Bowl. Right. Because it's going to help you win a Super Bowl. That's exactly what tanking is. Now again, I don't think this is the right situation. I think I've been too pro-tanking in the past. Um, When you look at what the Eagles did They didn't really help themselves all that much. I look back on when I talked about the Packers and how they shouldn't have won those last couple games. Maybe if you talk about the last several, and we possibly are looking at a top three pick or something, I don't know, there was a time in which a top three was a possibility. If that's the case, for example, the Cincinnati Bengals, the Bengals may have just lost Penny Sewell because they went from three to five. They absolutely 100,000% should have tanked. Forget everybody else. Forget the fans. Everybody that wants to cry, any playoff implications that somebody missed because... First of all, the Giants can go pound sand. They're a garbage football team. They don't belong in the playoffs. You want to make the playoffs? Try to get to at least eight wins, you bunch of losers. I could not care any less about them. They have no right to cry. They're mad because they should have been handed a playoff berth that they didn't deserve. Shut up. And the whole integrity of the game thing, give me a break. What integrity? Again, Chiefs, where's the integrity? Where's the integrity of of playing a football game? The fans paid money to see a game and you didn't even have the integrity to put out your starters. The Chiefs should be barred from the playoffs. I would sign that petition, by the way. I don't believe in it, but I would, uh, you know, again, integrity of the game and whatnot. It's all nonsense. I think the Eagles, from that perspective, should tune everybody out. Everybody that wants to get all high and mighty, they're just being stupid, and half of the people are just jumping on a bandwagon, which annoys me, so whatever. However... They pick their wrong spot to do it, right? The first team to genuinely showcase real tanking that can't be denied, right? It's not like subtle tanking at all. It's like, oh shoot, we're gonna win, pull the starters and put in guys that suck. That is blatant tanking. And again, I'm okay with it in some situations, but who, who in the draft did they just gain? Right now they're picking at six. Are they gonna get a new quarterback? Because I don't. First of all, I don't know if a, a quarterback's gonna make it to six. Jaguars are taking a quarterback, Jets are probably taking a quarterback, the Falcons possibly could take a quarterback, Miami isn't, but there's a lot of teams that could possibly trade up and Miami would be, uh, could possibly be trading back, depending on if they want to take Panay Sewell, but they just took a first and second round uh, tackle. I mean, you know, so I don't I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. The point is, generally when I've done my mock drafts, and I do them every week, and I should be having mock draft stuff up, but I'm having so many technical difficulties, I'm ready to just put my head through a flippin' wall. I can't get this video up every single day. Anyways, the two most popular picks are Jamar Chase, the wide receiver, and um, Micah Parsons, the linebacker. First of all, tanking for a li- and and that's the thing, I don't think there's a, necessarily a player in mind. It... it If you're tanking, there should be a player in mind, and it should guarantee you're going to get that player. You have no guarantees, and tanking for a linebacker is stupid. It is always stupid. It will always be stupid. Isaiah Simmons, I think, was a better prospect, at least in terms of what people said about him. I didn't particularly care for him, but everybody was more obsessed with him, my recollection, than most linebackers. He's not very good. And Roquan, I've been through the list. They're just, they're not great. And tanking for a wide receiver in a draft in which there's 700,000 wide receivers doesn't make sense. And, and and really, the only reason I would say don't do it, because otherwise I don't care, is what's happening right now with your team. You're now starting to have players come out on radio programs say, I don't know why we did that, but I'm not happy about it. The players are not happy. People who are like dunking on players for saying we would never do that, they wouldn't, but it's also not up to them. Unless they're going to straight-up protest and, and say, I'm not going to let the backup quarterback in, sit your butt down, I'm playing. Which would have been disastrous for the Eagles if that would have happened, because that's a flat-out revolt on the football field. But again, you don't gain anything. And and you're going for what, a wide receiver or a linebacker? Come on now. You can't tank for that. Sewell is gone. The The only guys that are, that are tank-worthy would have been the Jets. They should have tanked for Trevor Lawrence. They didn't. They're stupid. I don't care anybody that wants to revolt and cry and, oh, this isn't right. 95% of that football team needs to be fired anyways. I don't care what you think. The coach needs to be fired. The GM needs to be fired. Almost everybody on that team needs to go away. They're all backups, the exception of a handful. I don't care about an open revolt, and I don't think the fans would care. In fact, the fans are revolting because we won. You shouldn't have. You should have lost. You should have picked Trevor Lawrence. You should have tanked. The Eagles, no, not because of some integrity of the game. How about have some integrity and don't suck? That's, that's integrity. Have, have enough integrity to win football games. I think, I think there is a loss of integrity by teams like the Lions. Where's their integrity? For trotting out garbage every year. You think that's respecting the fans that pay money? Or the Browns, who are finally doing good for the first time in my lifetime? That's integrity. Trying to win for your fans by getting a higher draft pick, there's nothing wrong with the integrity in that from my standpoint. But you better be doing it for a really good player. And again, they're picking at six. so what? And they and they went from maybe number nine to six. That's the that's the big kicker. From nine to six. At worst, because they would have been five and eleven. 5, 11 and yeah, five eleven and one. No, five ten and one. Yeah, so they would have picked um they would have picked ninth. So again, they go from ninth to sixth. Now granted, there is value. You can go to a trade value here. I'll show you right now. And th- this is, I did this when the, the Packers are tanking too, and I think this is somewhat interesting. And I can uh, kind of further verify this just to solidify my point. But if we look at this trade value chart to go from 9 to 6, and this is, this again, in the positive of tanking, 387 is the value of pick 9, 446 is the value of pick 6. So in the draft, they gained 59 points. 59 points is worth a mid-third-round pick. So they essentially gained a third-round pick by tanking. That's that's essentially the reality of it. And if you don't believe me, all they need to do is trade back to their original position and they can get a third-round pick out of it. So there, again, there is a lot of value in tanking. But again, I just, I don't see, because I don't think they're going to trade back. They're going to get absolutely crucified, even though I think that would be their best bet. I would rather you get a third round pick out of that tank than than whatever garbage player you're going to draft. And I don't know if Jamar Chase is even around, because Miami might take him. I don't think they should that early, but they could still trade back and take him. The point is, it just, it it wasn't really done with intentionality. It was done with, we just want a tank, because we want a better draft pick. We don't really know what we're doing. No way they're targeting somebody that they know is going to be there at six, but they know will be gone by nine. That's impossible. That's not a thing. Now, again, if they do draft a quarterback, which would be a little bit shocking because they got one that showed some promise, if they can pull that off, then you kind of, eh, yeah, maybe. Maybe they're trying to position a little bit. We saw, what was it, the Giants kept moving up or all these teams that like keep wiggling their way up to the top. Maybe they look to move Wentz. They trade Wentz for some draft capital, and they just keep pushing their way up. I'll have to see how this thing plays out, but at the end of the day, there, there's 100% is going to be negative ramifications. I don't care what other fans or the media think. I do care about my locker room, the fact that they have lost faith in their coaching staff, in their uh, their GM. If, if I was the person that pulled the trigger, if I'm the owner, I'm going to go to the coach and I'm going to say, you tell them that I told you you had to do it, because I don't want my players hating my coach. They can hate me. I don't care. I'm just the guy that signs their checks. I don't matter in the locker room. The coach matters. Tell him you stormed up here and gave me a piece of your mind, even though it was your idea and I signed off on it. Lie to them. That would be my advice because that relationship is now damaged, and that's serious. And, again, there better be a very, very good reason. I don't think a third-round pick is going to do it. I certainly don't think the pick you're going to make at six is going to be worth it. I mean, again, okay, Jamar Chase has gone. You picked Devontae Smith. Maybe I, you know, there's again, there's just nobody. A cornerback would be a waste of a pick. No offense to Mr. Patrick Sertain. The only thing I can think there's, there's okay. So let's say we do want a quarterback, and I know this is a Packers podcast, but I'm just we're we're talking general football here. It does help in terms of how to think football wise. At some point, this may impact the Packers, right? We got Trevor Lawrence, we got Justin Fields, we got Zach Wilson, we got Trey Lance. Four guys possibly worth going after it would be kind of funny to go after Trey Lance considering where the Carson Wentz guys they went to the same school at six if we assume Penae Sewell is going basically would have to go quarterback 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 Penae, quarterback and then we then we miss out that's the only way we miss out everybody picks a quarterback and then Penae Sewell because nobody else is really worth killing yourself over again a linebacker who cares a bunch of wide receivers who cares. Kyle Pitts in in the top five is very iffy. Uh, mediocre cornerbacks. There's no edge rushers worthwhile. There's no other offensive lineman that you need to move up from nine to six four. I I almost think they have to get a quarterback to justify what they did. Anyways, all right, we'll move on. That's my thought. I don't care what people think. I don't mind tanking. I think they picked the wrong spot. This was the wrong way to showcase tanking. The Jets should have showcased it. They should have showed the world, this is what tanking looks like, ladies and gentlemen. Yes, we're doing it. Hallelujah. And all of New York would say amen. By the way, in terms of compensation, I don't see any time in history where somebody moved from 9 to 6. But we have an example of somebody moving from 7 to 6 and giving up a second-round pick, moving from 8 to 6 and giving up a third and a sixth. So that's from eight so if they're moving from nine you may be able to get possibly more than a third then again you've got this, this is so malleable now you got somebody moving from seven to six and giving up a second round pick you've got somebody moving from 12 to six and giving up a third round pick it's so weird i think it just depends how badly the team wants to move up and how badly the other team wants to move back you know, if you've got a, a team in the first round picks at picks at six who just doesn't want to pick and they're begging to move back, you might get a team that's like, look, I'll, I'll give you a third, that's it. And they're like, cool, man, whatever. Because you just, you just you don't like the position you're in. You like the guys a little bit later, so you want to get a little bit more value and still get those guys. On the other hand, so that would be um, the Seahawks moving up with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, giving up a third to get Walter Jones. Tampa got uh, Warwick Dunn and Frank Middleton. On the other hand, again, moving up one spot from 7-6, to this time for tight end Kellen Winslow that the Browns must have really wanted, offered up a second-round pick to move up one spot with the Detroit Lions. They moved up, got Kellen Winslow, the Lions moved back one spot, got an additional second, picked up Roy Williams and Teddy Lehman in the second round. So, again, very, very malleable, and it's always funny whenever I do trades in my mock drafts, people flip out, that's stupid compensation, like, dude, go look at what they do. Somebody's probably done it. That's not enough compensation. Well, it was for somebody. Anyways, do I even have notes? Where are my notes? Why don't we actually just take a break right here, get this quickly out of the way and then we'll kind of finish up. Um, as I mentioned, if you want to support the show, I did put it in the Facebook group. I pinned it to the top so you can't miss it. If you are interested in giving in any which way, there is a link. That link takes you to a bunch of links. By the way, my Venmo is now a fancy business profile, which is like a new thing, I guess. But uh, any and all support would be greatly appreciated. Um, I probably can't say I want to quit my job anymore because apparently people at work are now listening to my podcast. So obviously I want to work until I'm 90. I want to die in my chair at work. Um, Love it every minute of it. Um, I just uh, want, I don't know, know, whatever. I don't feel like lying this early in the morning. Let's just say I want to be more successful doing this part-time. Nah, I don't know. (laughs) You know, you already know. But if you could help me get to that point, that would be greatly appreciated. Whatever point that might be, that would be fantastic. Thank you very much to Zachary Moss, the guy who I did a shout-out for yesterday. Jumped in on Venmo. Very much appreciate that. He says thanks for the shout-out. I've enjoyed your podcast for a while. Keep up the great work. Thank you very much. Good sir. Anyways, let's take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing. But they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. So before I forget, I did promise that I would uh, take a look at somebody really quick. On Twitter, uh, Potty Scotty asked me, what do you think about linebacker Skalski from Clemson? I always thought he looked like he could be a future Packer. So what I'm going to do for you, big guy, because I'm not going to lie to you, I didn't go watch him. I'm going to give you some insights on him uh, via PFF, and I hope that is satisfactory. I'm hoping to be able to start, once I get my feet back under me and I get stop being so far behind looking at prospects, I do love that part of it. I'm very excited to start uh, taking, I did actually start looking at tight end. I've got three tight ends right now that I've looked at, um, but that's about it so far. So first of all, Mr. Skalski out of Clemson is ranked as currently in 2020 the... Let me make sure I got that set up right. I do. The 49th best linebacker in all of college football, which maybe doesn't sound as impressive when you're talking about um, the NFL. This is out of 401 linebackers, right? This is college football. There's a billion prospects, and this is just um fbs it doesn't include fcs so yes he is one of the top guys he is uh he does have a good grade he's in the 70s primarily a coverage guy so i could see why possibly you would think he would make a good packer at the very least why the packers would like him six foot 240 pounds basically average across the board in terms of run defense tackling pass rush but coverage has really come on strong he's played at clemson for five years which you know when we talk about how important experience is and, and real understanding of how to do things. Again, you look at guys like Jace, they love his upside, but he take he's going to take a long time to come up to speed. You look at a guy like Deguara, he spent five years at Cincinnati. They plugged him in instantly. I think Skalski, big program, five years. I think if he gets drafted, he's a guy that could probably play immediately. And plus, I mean, you look at the linebackers, we've got plenty of guys that we drafted and they play instantly, probably out of necessity because we don't have very good players, but that would be the first thing that stands out in my mind to me is the fact that he's got five years of experience. Uh, This year, they did bring him on, on pressure quite a bit, which I'm excited about the fact that the Packers are starting to mix up the pressure a lot. Um, we've seen several times Savage has come on a blitz, we've seen Jair come on a blitz, I mentioned how I saw Kevin King come on a blitz, like for the first time basically since his rookie year, I think that was the second time ever he's been brought on a blitz. Linebackers are very rarely brought on blitz with Mike Patton, but we did see Christian Kirksey come from the outside and get a sack last week. Um, So he, he, uh, on 45 attempts, does have 8 pressures and 2 sacks. 29 tackles, which doesn't seem super high, but it's, you know, with all the COVID and everything, they haven't played every single week. He does have five missed tackles, which, I, you know, I don't, I don't have an official ratio. I should probably figure that out, but it's probably a little higher than you like. But again, the coverage thing would be his number one asset. It has gotten better every single year, just looking at his grades. First three years, 60, 63, 58, right? So he's kind of just average, not great. 2019, it jumps to a 73. 2020, an 82.5. So that part of his game has improved quite a bit. Um, 13 targets, eight receptions for 66 yards. He hasn't given up any touchdowns. He doesn't have any interceptions, but does have two pass breakups. 74.5 passer rating when targeted. Targeted tongue is tripping over itself. In terms of my consensus big board right now, and, and again, we're still early in the process. I think. Most of these guys have their early boards figured out. Um, There are some guys that are later on that are probably going to go much earlier, but again, we're we're very early on. But as of right now, my consensus big board has him as the 257th uh, player in the draft, meaning he's a seventh-round prospect. Again, that may change... if you want to track that, I, I update this big board on packdraft.com. Go to packdraft.com. You can click on NFL Big Board. You can search for these guys. Keep an eye on Skalski or whoever you want and see, uh, see where he is. His, his average rank on people's big boards is 243. Don't have a huge amount more information. He's not very versatile. Looks like he's primarily almost always in the box. He's lined up in the slot four times, probably just in man coverage and slid out there. Um, twice along the uh, defensive line as an outside linebacker. Sorry, did I say twice? 14 times, but 276 as an inside linebacker. So, I mean, he's he's strictly in the box. He also does not have anything special in terms of a special teams grade, so he doesn't seem to bring that dynamic. Not to say he couldn't get better when he comes to the pros, but that's not an additional benefit, especially when you're looking at late-round linebackers and stuff, especially, especially for a team that's really bad on special teams. But uh, that's all I got, man. There's your Mr. James Skalski. I also want to, and I understand this is not the most Packers-centric episode, but there is a lot of other stuff going on. The playoffs are coming up, and obviously every one of these games has massive implications because, um, you know, who the Packers play and how they win a Super Bowl championship comes down to... Who wins these games. So I do want to go through the injury reports because we kind of just look at the teams and whatnot and say well these are the better teams but there are some kind of impactful things going on right now. Um, For example Mike Evans is injured. He was a full participant in practice so it looks like he's going to play. That was kind of the only thing that was holding out hope that Tampa wasn't going to win that game. Um, Anything can happen but I feel like once you get to the playoffs there's a little bit less fluky stuff especially in regard to really bad teams winning. I mean, you do have sometimes up-and-coming teams. You know, we saw Seattle, you know, before they started their reign of terror, they limped into the playoffs, people were mad they shouldn't have even been there, and they won, like, the first game or first two games before they got knocked out. And I always mention how there's there's always that team that gets in that you feel like shouldn't, that kind of becomes an up-and-comer. I don't think the NFC East is an example of that. That's an example of an entire division that's such a joke that somebody has to go. All right, my examples in the past were the Baltimore Ravens. They became a good football team. Last year, I think it was the Tennessee Titans. They became a very good team. Um, who would it be this year? Maybe the Colts, possibly. But I don't know. There's really nobody that limped in that doesn't belong. I mean, maybe you could say the Bears, which would be unfortunate. They're they're pretty much the only team that got in where it's like, oh, I didn't expect them to make it. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have one this year. Um, some other interesting injuries. <sighs> sounds wrong to say interesting injuries, but uh, Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley are both injured. Uh, Stephon Diggs is limited with an oblique injury. Cole Beasley, who's been a very underrated wide receiver, has a knee injury, did not practice, did not participate in practice. So that's definitely something to keep an eye on. I think Seattle might be one of the biggest ones. I I think that's going to be one of the closer games, Rams and Seattle. I mean, they're they're in the same division, which is always kind of iffy. I think both teams have shown some strength and some weakness. I feel like the the Seahawks have been trending up while the Rams are trending down, which is why I was leaning Seahawks. But you look at it, Jamal Adams may not play, and, and, you know, they lost a defensive lineman, they lost Snacks Harrison, they maybe are losing Jamal Adams, the fact of the matter is their offense has been getting worse, their defense has been getting much better. If the offense doesn't get back to being an elite number one offense, and the defense starts to trail off, which I tend to think they will because they don't really have that much talent, they're in a lot of trouble, and I don't know if they make it past the Rams. So that's going to be a very, very interesting game, especially if Jamal Adams doesn't play Uh, Cleveland Browns are an absolute mess Uh, they got COVID issues they may not have some coaches they lost Joel Batonio to COVID Uh, Olivier Vernon is being put on injured reserve he's come on real strong at the end of the year I thought the Cleveland Browns kind of had this thing wrapped up against the Pittsburgh Steelers because the Steelers have been such a joke but um, they've they've suddenly gotten so decimated I don't don't really know what's going to happen in that game which is somewhat unfortunate because I thought the Cleveland Browns could be that wrecking ball that ends up beating a team like the Chiefs or something and then, you know, losing because they're super volatile. So plenty of in- injuries to keep an eye on. We don't have a lot of the official injury reports out yet. They should be coming out today, I would assume. So that'll give us a little bit of a bigger picture. But again, some of these things are going to be super impactful. And um, just just really, really hope that all the Green Bay Packers players are being very careful and hopefully just staying away from each other. I mean, if I'm Aaron Rodgers, I'm not getting together with anybody because I, I don't know. How do I know that, you know, maybe Devontae had somebody over last night? Implications don't sound... Had a friend over, stuff happens, and I go over and hang out with him for a while. Just just stay away from everybody. Everybody, just stay away from everybody. Hang out at home. If you got a family, hang out with your family. If you don't, just just sit home. Alone. By yourself. I think finally the last thing I want to do is uh, kind of look at the history of some of these games coming up. I, I, I don't super care about history all that much because it doesn't generally play... History has nothing to do with these two rosters. Different coaches, different scheme, different year, different players, different everything. But it still can be interesting because sometimes there are factors. For example, weather, right? All those things are still different, but the weather's not. The stadium isn't. The grass, the turf, and some of the players are still the same also. So firstly, obviously, I want to look at the New Orleans Saints and the Chicago Bears. Now, it's only halfway interesting. Um, They have played twice in the playoffs before. Both of them, however, both of those games took place at Soldier Field, and I mentioned how much of an advantage that cold weather is, so that's, that is a difference. However, Chicago is actually 2-0 and against the Saints. The other interesting thing to keep in mind here, the Saints have been eliminated from the playoffs twice by the Minnesota Vikings. The Saints were better than the Vikings, I think, in both of those years. The Saints have had a very serious problem Kind of, I guess, similar to the Packers and some other teams, kind of getting over that hump of, you know, you're a great regular season team, and then you get to the playoffs and you just can't do what it takes to get to the Super Bowl and win the big game. And so again, they're going up against an NFC North opponent, and they got to get over the hump. It's also worth noting that they are 0-2 the last two games that they played at home in the playoffs. The last time they played at home was against Minnesota. The time before that was against The Rams. They lost both of those games, both of which, by the way, were in overtime. So every advantage that you look at here, um, the Saints are a better team. Well, they were better than the Rams in Minnesota. Maybe not the Rams, I don't know. But I mean, you got home field advantage, you should be the better team. Clearly the higher-seeded team. So, look, I you know I, I tend to believe that the Saints are going to win. But something else to keep in mind, in both of these losses, the biggest abdication of, of the team was the offense. Last year against the Minnesota Vikings, good defense. The Saints only scored 20 points. The Vikings only scored 26. The Saints should have been able to overcome that. They couldn't. right? If this is a good team, they should be able to overcome that. Um, and, and there's no question. I mean, Drew Brees is 42 years old, basically, right now. If you look at his regular season grades in 2018 and 2019, his 2018 and 2019 regular season grades were 94.7 and 91.4 absolutely dominant his postseason grades 71.7 and 62.5 he went from 94.7 i think it was elite dominant best quarterback in the world to eh, pretty good and then last year again elite dominant top two top three quarterback in the nfl to barely average drew Brees doesn't really hang in there too well it happens when you get old by the way pretty similar thing happened to tom brady His two years was a 90 and an 80, dropped to a 75 and a 54. These are both significant drops in the postseason. Now, he's on an absolute tear right now, but it's about as good as he was in 2018. And again, in 2018, he dropped from a 90 down to a 75. Maybe the the postseason is just when defenses come to life and that that affects quarterbacks, I don't know. Rodgers the last two years has not had that same kind of a drop-off. So, uh, the point is, I'm much less confident Having looked at these couple tidbits in the New Orleans Saints, Drew Brees, we know, is very iffy, very up and down this whole season. He tends to fall off toward the end of the year in the postseason. When they fail, as they have the last two times they've played at home in the playoffs, they were against NFC North opponents, against teams with good defenses, and the failure was the offense wasn't able to overcome the defenses, and they're going up against a very good defense. Now, the question still remains, can the Bears' offense find enough of a rhythm to overcome the Saints' defense, which is quite stout. But it's it's closer to 50-50 than it was, in my mind, just yesterday. As far as Seahawks and Rams, um, they've only seen each other in the playoffs once. This is uh, two thousand January 8, 2005, so the 2004 season. So this was obviously well before anybody was around. This was the Mike Holmgren Seattle Seahawks against the Mike Martz St. Louis Rams, and the Seahawks lost the game. Again, this is a This is a historical thing that I feel like has no impact, Um, especially now that the Rams are in L.A. There's no real traveling issues. There's no regional issues. They're both west coast. It's not a super long distance to travel. Slight weather variance. Obviously, it's going to be colder in Seattle and warmer in in L.A. I think the more interesting thing would be to just look at their, their history together, having played several times, and seeing that the Rams clearly have an advantage here. If we go back to 2014... Well, let's just do this. Let's say in the last 5 years, try to come up with a good round number that isn't Russell's entire history because clearly early on the Seahawks were super dominant and it's not the same team. Last 5 years, the Seahawks are 4 and 8 against the Rams. However, interestingly enough, at home they're 3 and 3. So, it seems to be advantage Rams, but it, when it's at home at least it's it's about a toss-up. But it is it is worth noting that in this competition between the two teams, the Rams seem to have the upper hand over the Seattle Seahawks as of late. Again, we're talking the last five years. And again, postseason doesn't tell us anything because they have only played in the postseason once a billion years ago. So again, whereas I was leaning heavily Seahawks, again, you look at the two teams, Rams seem to have an advantage. You look at the injury, it's all on the Seahawks side. I don't know. I'm excited because all these games are suddenly becoming very real competitions. Uh, Washington and Tampa is the final NFC team I want to look at and the final team I want to look at because I don't want to do this to the AFC. Mostly because I'm out of time. But, I mean, in the last five years they've played each other twice, and Tampa now has um, Brady. I mean, the only thing I can say is that Washington has won both games against Tampa. But it's also worth noting that uh, Tampa has been garbage for a very long time, as has Washington. But it just it doesn't, it doesn't doesn't mean very much. So I'm more interested in how is Tom Brady going to hold up in the postseason? He's been on an absolute terror. Pl- I mean, he, the if you follow me on Twitter, Pac underscore daddy. By the way, I did a, a big long thing. I believe they call it a thread for every position via PFF, who the number one players were for at each position for the season, for the last half of a season, and for the last quarter of a season. At quarterback, Aaron Rodgers was the number one quarterback on the season. Um, I think Deshaun Watson was the number one quarterback for the last half of the season. Tom Brady has been the best quarterback in the last four games of the season, the last quarter. He's playing out of his mind right now. So if he starts to fall off, it's going to be a drastic fall from grace because he's trending in the exact right direction. But again, the question isn't just a talent thing. It's not a mental thing. It's a physical thing. We saw at the end of, of Brett Favre's career, how much, I mean, the cold weather especially really got to him. When we got to the postseason, he really just didn't play very well. It has an impact. And again, I, I think even if Tom Brady does hold up fairly decently in Tampa, if he comes to Green Bay, I think it's going to have a negative impact. Not to say he's going to be a terrible quarterback. I just think, you know, you get, yeah, he's played in, in New England for a long time. Yeah, and, and how has he been playing the last, you know, the last year in New England? Not very good, especially in the postseason. What did I say his grade was, like a 50? It's cold. He's 50 years old. The joints stiffen a bit. I, you know, I don't care how great his diet is. It's just it's just hard. So, I mean, that that, that to me is the absolute biggest thing. And even, even if Tom falls off, it's a hurdle for Washington to win this game. Um, the biggest benefit, though, is if Tom doesn't play well, Mike Evans is hurt, and Washington really does have a good defense, there's an opportunity here to win a football game the you know Washington just needs to find an offense and it becomes a competition so that's going to be the biggest thing if, if you're watching that game and I don't know why you wouldn't be there's only one game per but um yeah the the biggest thing is going to be real early on how's Tom playing and if it's if it's not going great I think that uh could be a little bit interesting obviously in Tampa it's going to be pretty temperate so that shouldn't be an issue possibly rainy which would be another thing to keep an eye on, because I think that becomes advantage defense. It's hard to run up the score when the weather is just not great. And so uh, I think all of us should be rooting for, unless you just think we can handle Tampa in in Green Bay, but I don't think that's what we should be necessarily rooting for. Just just hope it rains a lot. That will help keep the score low, help the Washington defense, and give the offense an opportunity to uh, find some points. But anyways, that's all I got for right now. It's gonna, I think it's going to be real interesting. Um, I think the most obvious is going to be Tampa over Washington. But again, it's going to require Tom Brady to continue playing the way he does. And, and if he does, I don't think there's any chance. Uh, the next most obvious would be New Orleans over Chicago. But again, history does not seem to be in New Orleans' favor. They struggle a lot in the playoffs. Tom Bra- uh, Drew Brees is struggling late in the season. He's very volatile on the season. He gets a lot worse in the postseason. Um, struggled against NFC North opponents. Struggled against good defenses, which the Bears are. I mean, that might be a... Uh, I'm not telling you to put money on the Bears, but uh, the odds are heavily in New Orleans' favor. I think they're nine-point favorite. I'm just saying it might be a little steep. That's all, that's all I'm saying. Um, and then Seattle and, and New Orleans... Jeez, I'm done. I'm fried. Seattle and Los Angeles are basically a toss-up in my mind right now. I. I, I Again, I think it's advantage Seattle, but um, it's been a tough competition even in seattle it's 50 50 um and then again you you add in really stiff defense up against uh, russell wilson bad offensive line against the best pass rusher in football Uh, the defense has been the one thing that's really ascended for the saints and they've lost several defensive players the offense is regressing i mean everything is trending very recently wrong for seattle So I think that's going to be a fantastic game. I I think we got three good games, to be completely honest with you. I think all six teams have a chance, some more than others. And again, the way that this shakes out is going to depend who uh, is coming to Green Bay. Uh, The Saints and the Seahawks can't come here, because if the Saints and Seahawks win, then it will be either Washington or Tampa that comes to Green Bay. So that might be the biggest game to keep an eye on, assuming the Saints and Seahawks win. However, if... uh, If the Bears win, they come here automatically, no matter what, because they're the lowest seed. If the Bears lose and the Rams win, then the Rams are coming to Green Bay. So it's the Bears if they win. If they don't win, it's the Rams if they win. If they don't win, then it's the uh, winner of Washington and Tampa. That's how that shakes out. Anyways, I got to get going. We're getting close, man. Packers are two victories away in Lambeau Field from going to the big big show. So have a great day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.